0: Good morning, everyone, as I get this back into my pocket. Um, let me just move this. There's a, a spot here where you can actually see everyone, except for the sound people, so I'm happy with that sacrifice. It's quite notable how many um, how many people are not here when the kids leave. It's, uh, it's a lot of children that we have, and... Obviously a massive blessing to our community is our, our kids and our, our kids' ministries because they're not keeping themselves occupied there at the back. There's a lot of, um, of our community day in and day out that are serving our, our kids, young and old, at the back there. What I want to do is, just before I even start with uh, even just the intro and the introduction, I just want to read the scripture that Sinatimba preached out of last week. Um, if you have your Bibles, it won't, it won't, this won't be on the screen. If you have your Bible here, you can turn to two Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 8. And if you don't have your Bible here, obviously you can just uh, listen. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Now in my Bible, in the NIV, it it has titles. And the title of this section is The Collection for the Lord's People. Um, So I just want to read for us the part that Sinitemba preached on, on last week. So from verse 1 it says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. So that was the section that Senatemba preached on last week. And um, yeah, I, I I was here for the for the first part of that. Um, and it's a pity that he's not here today to hear me posting about him. But I just thought it was so nice to see him standing up here. And he was, yeah, I thought he really did well in how he presented it. Um, I must admit that I couldn't stay for the whole message. I had my my two-year-old and my eight-week-old with me, Um, so a little way into the message, I had to go and give some milk to the little one and all of that, but those of you that were here, I'm wondering, would you agree that Sinitemba did a good job, I thought he did a really good job, and he's such a blessing to our community, and he took us through these verses um, from verse one to eight. And what stuck with me even in the little bit that, that I heard and, and, and even with what I missed was the phrase he said that, where he said, like, this is not a money talk. And you'll notice that the, the, the topic that we're in is called money matters. And he's, his talk, in the beginning of his talk, he said, this is not a money talk. This is a grace talk. Um, and that really st- really stuck with me that it, it isn 't a money issue, even when we 're talking about money it's not it 's not actually money it 's not physical money itself um, and he was speaking about that 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 what Paul was speaking about here wasn 't about money, but it was about grace. He explained that Paul was seeing in the actions of the Macedonians in how they they reacted or how they acted, in this case specifically how they gave, that they have encountered Jesus and understood something of his grace. And I'm going to be taking us through the next couple of verses, and I feel like I'll be saying very much the same thing, that even though we will be talking about money, that is actually not the, the core thing. It might be one of the things, Um, or rather, to me, it feels like Paul says the same thing again. So as we go through the next section of Scripture, plus some others that really stood out to me that I felt is relevant, we will see that when it comes to Christian giving, we should not be so concerned with what we have in our hand, but rather what is in our hearts. And and that is the the big idea that I would like to leave with us at the end of this message is to not be so concerned with what do we have in our hands, or sometimes what we don't have in our hands, but rather to be concerned with what is in our heart. And as we look in our hearts, we will see the following of out of these scriptures. We'll see Paul's heart for the church. Um we'll see Jesus' heart for the giver, and we'll look at Jesus' example of giving. So let me pray for us before we get into it. Lord Jesus, thank you for the privilege we have to be able to gather together, to be able to hear your word. You know, I just think of what Andre prayed in the prayer meeting this morning, that this would not be uh, about you know, me, but that you would speak through your word and through me. Um, yeah, we just pray for everyone here, people that call themselves uh, believers, people, people that are still wondering, people that are unsure, just pray that you would you know, keep us from distractions, help us to be present, help us to be honest with ourselves and each other and real, and will you just, through your spirit, guide us uh, through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Right, so I... I'm going to have this scripture up but it won't be as a full part so it's going to be in parts and it's going to be not in the same order as it is here and I promise you I'm not not twisting changing it around so that it says something that it doesn't Um, to be honest the main reason I switched it around was to be able to end off the message with Jesus' example of giving so As I read through this, it's not going to be on the screen, but then smaller parts of it will be on the screen as we go through. So that's 2 Corinthians 8, verse 8 to 15. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 8 to 15. So that is following on from what Sinitemba preached on. So I'm going to read for us. Paul starts by saying, I'm not commanding you. But I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it, may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. So that's the, the scripture that we'll be working out of um, this morning, and maybe just a little bit of context. So, Cindy also gave some of this to us last week, but the, the giving that Paul is talking about here in, in chapters 8 and 9, is for a specific church. So he's taking up a collection for the church in Jerusalem who was struggling. And I mean, like not struggling, they couldn't afford the car payments. I mean, like they were they were hungry, they were really struggling, they were hit with a famine. And he was taking up a collection amongst all the churches, all the Christian um, churches that I guess he knew about, to be able to support this church in uh, Jerusalem. And in the previous part he speaks to the Corinthians about. He, he brags about how the Macedonians churches have actually given. And he says like they were in such a difficult place. They were they were faced with affliction. And they pleaded with us to be able to give. So he kind of says like yes. We are so amazed with what these churches um, have done out of their poverty, that they were so keen to help God's people in Jerusalem. And and then he kind of turns it on them to say, like, remember that you also said that you want to give. You, in Corinth, you also, last year, you were the first, you were the first people who said we want to give, and to give. So that's just a little bit of context of where Paul is coming from here. That he is speaking of a specific church for who he is taking up a collection. He has spoken of how other churches have responded to this call um, to give to that church. And we will now see what Paul thinks is good for the Corinthians. What is good how is it how does he think is best for them to react to this call to Um, to give to the church in Jerusalem. Like I said, passages of scripture are going to be swapped around a little bit. So first, we are going to look at Paul's heart for the church. And to me, Paul's heart for the church is clear in the last couple of scriptures in, in that section. So I'm going to read it for us again from verse 13. He says, Our desire is not Now that you might have that footnote in your Bible, but who knows from where that he is quoting that section. Does anyone want to? Out of Exodus 16. I know that in most Bibles it'll say it'll give you that little footnote. Um, and I'm just going to give us a little bit a little bit of background on Exodus 16. I would encourage you to go and read it. Maybe not now, but go and read it. It's such an insightful scripture when you see the context of that one sentence that he is taking out of there. So this is where we all know the Israelites, well, I'm not going to assume we all know, the Israelites were slaves and they were were set free by God through Moses. So Moses led them out of Egypt and not long after they were set free, uh, they started like moaning. They're like, oh, so tough. We don't have food. We don't have water. And they said things, they literally said like, you know, it was better for us to be in slavery because at least while we were slaves, we were sitting around the meat pots every night. And they were convinced that Moses had led them out of Egypt so that they could die in the desert. And it says it there as well. So they were very dramatic. God then hears their grumbling and moaning against him, and he provides for them meat and bread. The meat was, was quail, quail do you pronounce it quail? Quail and manna. But he also gives them specific instructions on how they should go about gathering this food that he has provided. He says to them, Gather just enough for one day. Only on the sixth day may you gather for two days, and the reason for that is so that on the seventh day they can rest. So they've gathered enough, in our context, on the Saturday, for Saturday and Sunday. But all the other days, for Monday, they just had to gather enough for Monday. So obviously, these—I mean, these birds were flying into the camp, and the manna was falling out of the air. So there was plenty, but God still told them just gather enough for one day. He said that you would provide for them. But what do you think they did? Some of you, what do you know they did? They took more than what they needed. They took more than what they needed. And I was pondering why. If, If God said that he was going to provide for them every day, why would they take more than what they needed? And we know that What happened was when they took more and the food was held over to the next day, then it basically rotted and was infested with maggots. And they couldn't use it. And I think thinking of why they would do that, it was, to me, it came down to a a trust issue. They weren't convinced that God would provide tomorrow. So they wanted that security of knowing, okay, but what if God doesn't provide tomorrow, then at least I've gathered for two days. Even though God has said I must only provide for uh, gather for one. But God has said that he will provide. So there wasn't really a reason for them to want to gather more because tomorrow God would provide again. And as we can see, Paul's heart for the Corinthian church is not for those who had to give and to give and to give and then they are in need while the one who was given sits back and just receives and lives a comfortable life as all the other churches are providing for them. He makes a point that at this time they have something to give. The Corinthian church, he says, out of your plenty... He says that at this time they had something to give, to supply the church in Jerusalem's need, their lack. But he also says that there will be a time, or the way that I read it is that when they are have plenty, and when you are in need, and then they will they will do the same for you. Out of their plenty they will then serve your need or take care of your lack. So that's Jesus' church looking after each other. Caring for each other's needs, a unified body of believer. That is Paul's heart for the church. But out of Exodus, we see that there's something else. To me, I see something else there. And I spoke about it briefly. But to me, I see at that in that last section in Corinthians that... We should trust God. We should trust God that God would provide. And how does that fit in with with the Corinthian church giving to the church in Jerusalem? You see that we often, probably as the Corinthian church, would hold on to much more than we need we would we would gather and hold on to much more than we need for the one simple reason of security and comfort we hold on to that just like the israelites tried to do although they had enough for every day they wanted more they wanted more security and as we said, we can imagine them saying, like, what if it stops? Then at least I have more for tomorrow. God wanted them to trust him that he would provide tomorrow. And I, I think of, of other scriptures where Jesus speaks of the, the birds. Look at them, you know, like God provides for them. How much, how much more valuable are you? God will provide for you. And Paul wanted the Corinthian church to help their brothers and sisters in Christ out of the plenty that they had in that time. But he also wanted them to trust that even if they gave too much to the church in Jerusalem, God would still provide for them. He still wanted them to trust that you know, they didn't have to hang on to To more than enough. They didn't have to hang on to their plenty. God would provide for them. So. Coming back to the point of Paul's heart. As he says here. His heart was not that the Corinthian church. Was in need. His heart was that. Their plenty would supply. The need of the Jerusalem church. And that out of that place they would be able to trust God that even if they gave too much to the church in Jerusalem, that he would provide for them. So on to the, the second point where we're going to look at what is Jesus' heart for the giver. Um, and we're going to look at verses we're kind of moving backwards uh, through the scripture of 2 Corinthians. So we're going to look at verses 10 to 12. And Paul says, and here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. So he says it that way because we'll see that at the beginning he says, he's, he's not commanding them to give. It's not a command. For, for what he's saying to the Corinthian church, he's saying, I'm not commanding you. We'll, we'll see that now. But then here he says, But here's what I think, Paul. Here's what I think is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to one what one does not have. So Paul says that there was a time where the Corinthians were not only the first to want to give, but also the first to give. And in reading chapters 8 and 9, there's an implication that they had already made a commitment that they were going to give to the church in Jerusalem. And he's saying, yeah, like, you must follow through on your commitment you must follow through on your commitment. So as we go through more of 2 Corinthians um, chapter 8-9, and nine, Paul gives some more practical advice. And I didn't want to speak about that today because someone else will speak about that, about when to give and how to give. Um, but he starts by saying, to finish the work according to your means. He explains that the willingness to give, the heart to give, is the starting point and that the gift will be acceptable according to what the Corinthians have, not according to what they don't have. So he's saying that if they are giving to this cause, to this collection with the right heart, him, Paul, and God are not going to turn around and look at their offering and say, is that all? Is that that all that you guys are giving? He's saying, give according to your means. Give according to your means. Your gift will be acceptable according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. And when I read this, this next scripture came, came to mind. And I must say that I've read this scripture many times before. But reading this yesterday had me emotional to 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 try and see this picture. And and it's out of Mark 12 verse 41 to 44. So you'll know the story of the widow's offering. So I'm going to read it fast it should be on the screen. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. And if you look at at verse 43 there, it doesn't make sense. Logically, it doesn't make sense. I'm going to read it for us again. Jesus says, truly I tell you, the poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. How much did she put in? She put in two small copper coins. But Jesus looks at that and says, she has put in More into the treasury. He's not only saying that she has given more because she has less. He's saying that. But he's also saying that even in the treasury, that is more than what the people gave out of their wealth. So to us, we look at this guy giving 5,000 copper coins. But Jesus is saying, even though that guy gave 5,000 copper coins, her two copper coins is more in the treasury In the treasury there, in the offering to God, that's still more. How can that be? Logically, it's not more. When we look at it, it's not going to be more. When we put it on a scale, it's not more. So why, in Jesus' eyes, is that more? Somehow, the couple of cents that this poor widow has offered is more than all the others have put in. So not only one other person's offering, more than all the others are put in. Now we know that that's not actually true or logically if we just look at the material value. Jesus says she has put in more than everyone else because she gave everything she had, all she had to live on. And that's something I also didn't notice until yesterday or maybe just didn't read it quite carefully all she had to live on. She didn't give much of what she had to live on. She didn't give most of it. Jesus says she gave all she had to live on. She gave it all. She put all of it into the treasury. So she had the least to give. In our terms, in terms of number, weight, money, value, she had the least to give, but she still gave all that she had. In this, she demonstrated her dependence on God by giving all that she had. By her actions, she was showing what is in her heart, although she did not have much in her hand. Her actions, most people except for Jesus, all people there would not have known that that two cents was all she had. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew that that was all she had. Most people would probably look at her and think like, that is disgraceful. Because they would assume, they would assume she probably has more than that. But she didn't. She gave all that she had. And by giving all that she had, she was showing that her heart was Right. Her heart was right. Even though it was just two small copper coins. Even though in her hand it was very little. In God's eyes, that was still more than the person who put in much. Now here's another example that we're going to look at. And again, this is a verse that I've seen before. And then, and then yesterday when I was reading it, it's, it really just struck me. So let's read it together. Luke 18, verse 9 to 14. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. From verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's such a, to me, it's a, it's, such a, it's a beautiful picture, because it's such a real picture of, of sinners standing before God. Sinners really realizing their need for a savior, sinners really realizing their state before God. You can only see this guy on his knees really contrite, I guess is the, the right word, with his position. So I know that this parable speaks more about, actually about pride and humility but I feel that there is something relevant in there for what we're speaking of. It doesn't really say whether the tax collector also was giving something to the church or giving tithing like the Pharisee says, I I give a tenth of everything I have. But it does say that the tax collector went home justified because he had humbled himself. Even though the Pharisee may give more, and give more consistently in this story, that is not what justifies a person, but the one who humbles himself before God. And again, to me, that shows Jesus' concern for what is in the giver's heart, not what is in the giver's hand. Because in this parable, I would argue That what the tax collector offered compared to what the Pharisee offered was worth much more to Jesus. The tax collector offered himself. He humbled himself. He said, I'm a sinner. And he brought himself before God. Whereas the Pharisee was fasting. He was paying his tenth. All of that. But in this example, that humble man... Acknowledging his sin and his need for God was worth more. Jesus and Paul's heart for the giver is not that they would give what they do not have, whether we are talking about money, time, skills, or resources, but that they would humble themselves and give according to what they do have. And out of love for God's people and love for God, Not out of compulsion. Again, we will hear more of this in chapter 9. That they would give because they know that Jesus gave for them first. And then finally, Jesus' example of giving. So this is the beginning of the scripture. Where in verse 8, in 2 Corinthians 8... It says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. The others being the Macedonian church. Paul says, "Is not commanding them. And by saying this, I think when we also read that, we're like, great. So I scratch that one. I don't have to give because it's not a command. So by saying this, he leaves it open for them to decide. He says, listen, I'm not commanding you. I'm going to leave it up for you to decide. But then we know he also says that here's what I think is best for you in this matter. But although he's not commanding them, he is going to make clear to them what he thinks. And he's going to make clear to them what he thinks they should do and why. And you'll see in chapter 9 or later on in chapter 8, he also says what he thinks it would look like if they decide not to give. What message they would send out. I mean, even that first sentence, I'm not commanding you, no, 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 no. Do what you think is best. I'm just going to be testing the sincerity of your love by comparing it with how earnest others were to give to this call. That's all. That made me think of, I don't know if any of you have ever heard, it's, it's like, it's a joke where someone says, Hey, I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. You don't know which one is worse. Would you rather be some, have someone be angry at you or disappointed at you? Paul said, Hey, I'm not commanding you, I just want to test the sincerity of your love. It's like, well, do you really leave me a choice, Paul? Um, and then he goes on to say in verse 9, And this to me is the crux of 2 Corinthians 8, chapter 8 and chapter 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty may become rich. In Paul's mind, there's no better reason to give to the church in Jerusalem than this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that although he is not commanding them, he will test them, because he knows that they know what Jesus did for them, that they understand that he offered everything for them so that they may live. So you will be eagerly watching to see how that affects their actions. So when we read about Jesus becoming poor for us, we cannot help thinking of that scripture in Philippians. And this scripture shows so beautifully Jesus' grace towards us. And again, something of his humility. So if you will read with me in Philippians 2, verse 1 to 11. Philippians 2, verse 1 to 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father amen Jesus has given us the ultimate example of giving he gave everything for us although he was god or as paul puts it in corinthians although he was rich although Jesus was rich he made himself nothing or He became poor. Or we could say that although Jesus, being in very likeness, God had life to the full. Gave up that to the point of death on a cross. So that we who were dead in our sins may have life. So why did Jesus give? And why should Jesus' perfect example drive us to give? Because of His great love for us? We all know the, the probably one of the most famous, if not the most famous, verse in the Bible, "For God so loved the world that He gave. God so loved the world that He gave, He gave." because we know what Jesus has done for us, because we know that he loved us so much that he gave, that should drive us as believers to give, whatever that looks like. And if we had to take that to applying it to our lives today, I would say that we should trust that God is able to provide for us Especially when we are caring for his church and for his people. Many of us here have experienced God's grace, love, and provision. And because we know and understand his grace and what he has done for us, we should eagerly be looking for opportunities, just like the Macedonian churches, who were out of their poverty saying, What can we do for the church in Jerusalem? How can we help? What can we? we want to give. We want to give out of our poverty. So yes, we are talking about giving money. We are talking about giving money. But we are also talking about giving time. And Andre often says, like he doesn't know what's more valuable in Cape Town, if it is money or if it's time. Our skills, our resources, our gifts. The Bible says that we have we have all we have all been given something something for the building up of the church all of us have something does god want us to give more than we have no as paul said the gift is acceptable according to what we have not according to what we don't have So that's something that you're thinking of now. That's something that you think, ah, this is too little. This is too little. I can't give this. This is too insignificant. Why would someone want or need a gift like that? Where does that fit in? That thing that's on your heart or your mind now, that may be the very thing that we need. That may be the very thing that the church of God needs. To, to build it up, to keep it healthy. That insignificant thing that you might think that is insignificant might be the two copper coins that Jesus sees. And he sees you doing that, whatever it is. He says, that person has given more than everyone else. Even though in worldly eyes it may seem like less than everyone else. Jesus will know, if we put it in money terms, Jesus will know where your heart is. The person sitting next to you, the person knowing what you've given, the person seeing what you've given, they will never fully know where your heart is, but Jesus knows where your heart is. So this brings me back, as we draw to a close, to the, the big idea to say that we shouldn't be so concerned with what we have in our hands, whether that's much or whether that's little. Whether it's a skill or a gift that in the world's eyes seems insignificant, doesn't matter. We should be concerned with what's going on in our heart. Are we humbling ourselves before God and saying, God, I only have two cents, but I want to give to your mission. I want to give to your church. Help me. How can I do it? How can I do it? What does that look like in my life? Because we understand what Jesus has done for us and because we trust that God will provide. We trust that What God has in store for me is good for me. And I'm going to leave us with this just to say that whatever it is that we give up for God and for his church and for his kingdom and for his people, it's worth it. It's worth it. Listen to this. Matthew nineteen twenty-eight to 30. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And every one and every who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. So Jesus says that whatever sacrifice we make for him, whatever we give up for him, it's going to be worth it. It is worth it. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for, yeah, we just thank you for Paul and for his letters. We thank you that we have them today to learn from. We pray, Lord, that through your spirit, yeah. even though, as Paul says, it's not a command, but that you would guide us in in our hearts. What are our hearts like when it comes to giving money, time, gifts, skills, resources? Yeah, we thank you, Lord, for for what you have already done in many people's hearts, and the fact that we are able to to stand here this morning and and have a service and gather together as a result of, of yeah, people's giving. We pray that where our hearts are, are hard towards the topic of giving, that you would soften our hearts. I pray that you would, you would speak to us through your spirit, through your word, that it wouldn't be yeah, fa- falsities from pers- people that it would be from you, Lord. Yeah, will you guide us in this, Lord? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.